Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Buck Haberichter, Managing Editor of the War Room. For those of you that haven't heard the first two episodes of this three-part series, I'll recap. Every U.S. student in the resident course at the U.S. Army War College has to complete a strategic research project as a requirement of the master's degree they are awarded upon graduation. Students usually do that as an individual effort, but a portion of the student body participates in Integrated Research Projects, or IRPs. Typically broader in scope, the IRP combines the works of multiple students in a single, larger document that capitalizes on the breadth of experience of the entire research team. A little over two years ago, we sat down with the students and advisors of Integrated Research Project Number 6. Their task was to determine leadership development requirements in the multi-domain operations environment in the year 2040. Due to a hardware malfunction, we thought we had lost the recordings of these conversations. But just recently, we were able to recover the files. Despite a couple of dated references, we felt that this topic was important enough and of interest to our listeners that we needed to post this three-part series. Today's episode is the last of the three parts. We began the discussion by trying to define and describe the world in 2040 and postulate what changes society would encounter over the next 20 years. In the second episode, our guests examine how the military has traditionally developed leaders and current trends in that arena. In this final episode, the three student participants of the project will tie all of their research together with their recommendations for how to proceed with leadership development moving towards 2040. Joining me in the studio again is Colonel Chance Garay, Colonel Tim Monroe, and Colonel Jason Schmidt. A graduate of the AY-19 resident class at the U.S. Army War College, Colonel Garay earned his commission through Air Force ROTC at North Dakota State University in 1997. He has served in staff and operational command positions both in garrison and deployed throughout the communications and cyberspace career field. He is currently the commander of the 81st Training Group at Keesler Air Force Base, Mississippi. Colonel Tim Monroe, also a graduate of the AY-19 class, received his commission as a distinguished graduate from the Air Force ROTC program at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida. A graduate of the Euro-NATO Joint Jet Pilot Training Program, his assignments include flying operations in the F-15C and MQ-9A in support of Operations Noble Eagle and Enduring Freedom. He served as Air Combat Command's Persistent Attack and Reconnaissance Division Chief prior to his current assignment as the Commander, 25th Attack Group, Shaw Air Force Base, South Carolina. A distinguished graduate of the AY-19 class at the U.S. Army War College, Colonel Schmidt is a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy. He has served in staff and command positions throughout the DOD, including Headquarters Air Force, the Joint Staff, the Office of the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the United States Strategic Command, where he is currently the Director of the Human Capital Directorate. Gentlemen, welcome to the studio. Hey, Thanks. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks. So uh, today we're going to discuss your final recommendations of the research that you've conducted throughout this year. Hopefully you'll have some additional points uh, for our listening audience to consider as we ponder the complexities of the future strategic environment. Uh, as a brief recap, uh, we probably ought to mention that our first two podcasts focused on kind of the smaller foundational pieces of your research. So we, uh, we looked at the, the future operating environment as you guys understood it. Uh, we looked at multi-domain operations as you, as you 
quantified that talking about it as well. And then you looked at the leader traits that you're going to examine going forward in this process. So knowing all that, recapping all that, I guess the obvious question to this is, will something fundamentally change in the future? Will there actually have to be some sort of change in the leaders of the future? Thanks, Buck. I, I think when we looked at this, there's uh, I looked at this three different ways at the end, and it uh, things that are going to be enduring, and, I, and it's it's CMT, and I'm not talking about country music television. Uh, I'm talking about uh, communication, motivation, and training, and those things over time. Whether you're a uh, a platoon sergeant, a CGO, a field grade officer, or a general officer, you're going to be able to do all three of those things, and those will be, like I said, enduring from now through 2040. And I think what will change is not necessarily the, the traits required. Um, there might be some characteristics of people that may need to change, but will change will be how do we actually train to develop these traits uh, for the future. So, I mean, we really struggled with, with finding new, new traits. Um, I mean, we looked at cognitive ability, physical, uh, mental toughness, openness, cultural awareness, adaptability, all kinds of things, and we kind of poured over what's really going to be different. Um, in the previous talk, I talked about uh, technology in the future, 2040, and what's really going to make us different um, than technology, right? What's, what's going to set us apart? I mean, we can have machines that can do, can make basic decisions. Heck, they can even make very complicated decisions now based on logic. So what can we as soldiers or humans really bring to the fight? Um, you know, what sets us apart? I think it's empathy, empathy or emotion. Um, and I got to tell you, when I, uh, I talked to my wife about this project and, uh, and I told her that, hey, you know what? After all this discussion, I think empathy and emotion are going to be the things that really set us apart. And she looked at me and said, you know, you better consider retirement <laughs> because you lack both of those skills. So... Uh, again, I, there's, there's other traits, and I know we're going we're gonna to talk about a few more here, but I think uh, empathy and emotion are really uh, those things that are going to set us Chance, apart. When you talk about empathy, though, you're not talking about feelings, per se, of being sad or, or being happy. Are you talking about being able to relate, or, or where are you going with empathy, really? Right. So, so I guess understanding you know, what, what we're truly about, and I, we were talking, Tim and I were talking a little while ago about you know, the nature of warfare, and it's really about, it's still about human beings, right? It's about happiness, uh, um, you know, thing, fear, right? Uh, so understanding that with ourselves and, and also about our, our, about our enemies, right? It's a clash of wills. So those are some of the things that, I mean, that's really what this is all about in the end. It's funny, you talk about empathy, and I think about the tool that they taught us during the year. Uh, they call it the strategic appraisal tool as we assess um, you know, our enemies or adversaries and understand what, what their cultures are, um, what their background is, what their understanding is, what their influences are. And I think that's, a, you know, at the time it wasn't discussed as being an empathetic tool, but I think that's definitely something that can help us uh, to be more empathetic in the future. Yeah, so from my perspective, you know, what will fundamentally be different? I think I, I sort of stand in the middle of the road. I think that there are leadership traits that are enduring, and we've heard that word used already, and that it, it will still be necessary to have leaders of high integrity, uh, of strong character, uh, those who are willing to sacrifice and put others before themselves. I don't fundamentally see that changing now or 20 years or 50 years from now. 
Where it becomes more complicated is when you consider the tools and the battle space that we will have to be operating in and the challenges that those pose to people at various echelons through the chain of command. And so we spent actually a period of time reflecting on, well, who are the company-grade officers and field-grade officers of 2040? Because that was part of one of our questions. Well, some of those people are actually either in elementary school or high school right now. The three- and four-star generals of the year 2040 are the people that are in this war college class right now. Uh, And the way that we learn and the way that we conceptualize things is very, very different generationally, uh, culturally. And so as we continue to grow ourselves for those people that are already inside of the military profession, uh, it's important for us to think about what that battle space is going to look like and who it is that we are going to be leading and how we work through the difficulties and the strains of connecting those things so that you remain an effective fighting force despite the changing uh, battle space and the changing environment that's around you. And I think it's, it, this probably leads us into our first recommendation of the integrated research project. And that for us is when you consider key skills, behaviors, and attributes of the individual How do we, from a talent management perspective, individual to our services and the Department of Defense as a whole, develop an individual from the point of a session through however long they choose to stay in the service and ensure that as we're doing that, we are able to leverage the best of what that person can bring to a position today growing them in anticipation of eventually them moving on to something where we will need for them to be the best at something in a higher echelon, a a different leadership capacity and those types of things. And that was something that uh, Jason took a look at. Yeah, as we talk about acquiring the talent for the future, you know, I think it's important to note that right now the Army and I think some of those sorts are having a hard time meeting their recruiting goals. I mean, the Army talks about it was 10,000 soldiers short this past year. Um, And I think I've also heard, well, you know, that was a win. It was uh, the army tried to sell as a win because they had ten thousand recruiters out there and they got the most people that they ever they ever had before. I think of seventy thousand recruits they come in. Well, I think that's also a ratio of seven to one. Then, so I'm not sure what the positive return on investment is on something like that through a standard brick and mortar facility. And um, as we go digital in the future and talk about MDO, the way that we acquire soldiers should also change. We need to develop a digital ways, you know, whether that's a LinkedIn type platform or USA Jobs type platform, but something where someone can log in and, uh, you know, get pre-assessed and, and pre-nominate themselves for a position in the armed service, I think has to be done. Um, the also the other part about that is also the ASVAB needs to change a little bit as well, too. I mean, right now, the, the ASVAB, uh, you know, is a 10-point test, but it really needs to move beyond the cognitive abilities that are verbal and math to really include the intellectual skills that are in technical proficiency and problem solving that will be required in the future. And I think without doing that, you're going to, you know, same in, same out, and that's going to be to continue what we want. I mean, the current mantra of warriors wanted, I don't think necessarily leads itself to needing future MDO leaders. Yeah, it's interesting. So one of the other things that we talked about that, you know, I think for some of the listening audience, certainly for most of us that are here at the War College right now, consider how your individual service has evaluated you. We use a system called the OPR, the Officer Performance Report. 
And, you know, despite what an individual's, you know, personal experiences are with that, generally speaking, it's a lot of superfluous text on a piece of paper that, you know, may or may not help you get promoted, may or may not help you get selected for another job. Uh, But we believe that it really falls woefully short in how we evaluate the performance and capacity and capability of an individual. Uh, because there's much more to who you are than just what you do. Uh, and so you know, one of the, part of this recommendation is that that really be something that we take a hard look at. How do we catalog those things? How do we develop um, a, a, a networked system that can help recognize talent and potential in an individual and, and move them uh, and accelerate them uh, to get the right effective individual in the right position, or for those that maybe are struggling, that we give them time to bloom and to grow somewhere so that as we grow in, uh, uh, as both an individual and as a military force, we're constantly looking to broaden our ability to be synergistically a more effective force. So we really need to work on assessments, right? So and in, in, in kind of what we're talking about is assessing from the earliest level, right? So uh, my kids and, and most kids out there playing video games, right? So they're, they're, they're logged onto the system and as, as they get better, their scores are tracked, right? And they can, you know, get new uh, features or weapons or whatever, but their scores are tracked. We don't do a very good job tracking that right now uh, overall in the service. Not taking in, uh, we only look at those OPRs or those, uh, you know, those standard assessment reports that, that, you know, our superiors give us. And that's partly due to time, right? So we got to meet those gates. So it's a high year tenure problem also that we have. Um, and that's part of this problem and why we limit it to just, you know, OPRs or those assessment reports. But if we start getting rid of this high year tenure, um, uh, limiter, then we can take into account all the training and stuff that we've started at an early age and really start matching people to to the, the best jobs that they're qualified for. Yeah. Well, so this brings up this question of, you know, what are the boundaries to the ethical boundaries to capturing data on somebody to make a decision on who they are and what they do internal to the force? Because I, I think that a, you know a great number of people would would have issue with this. You're collecting all of this information on me. At what point in time you know am I engaged in the process and those types of things? So I think it's important to understand we're talking about objective evaluation criteria. We're still talking about uh, leader subordinate interactions with one another to ensure that as life. Uh, parameters change as career decisions change, uh, that there's still a decision that you get to make in the process, and it's not some algorithm out there telling someone where to put you in the system. Yeah, it's funny. The Air Force is trying to come up with uh, a new talent management system itself a little bit, especially its assignment management system. Uh, I think it's called Talent Marketplace, where individuals have the ability to go in and uh, lay out their their uh, personality, their their skill sets, what they have and what they can bring, and how that gets matched to the job that the commander may be looking to hire for. And then the commander can look at the 20 people that kind of applied for their job and hire the best person they think uh, that's there. Um, 
I think it's a great idea. I think it would be um, a long-term win. However, you know, I'm also a little uh, skeptical of nepotism a little bit and making sure that truly the right persons get hired for the job, not just the person that the commander personally knows. Yeah. I think this is probably a good stepping off point because for Chance, one of the things that he looked at was the future operating environment. And one of the themes that we've talked about just in talent management is the use of technology. And I think it's probably good for us to talk about our second recommendation at this point, which is how the human interacts with the technology in the year 2040 and multi-domain operations. Right. So the propensity to self-develop, right? So that's really a trait that that I think we're going to have to look at. Um, it, it, and so I, I actually wrote an opinion paper kind of going off a little bit on a tangent about it, embracing cyborgs, right? So every time I say that, it raises eyebrows, and I guess that's for good effect, right? Uh, a cyborg is effectively an augmented human, right? Um, it, it not only develops from its human interaction, but can be programmed or updated, right? So everybody's carrying around a cell phone, a watch, right? A, a smart watch. Um, and you start putting, adding things like virtual reality um, and simulations. And frankly, we are pretty close to being cyborgs already, right? So now we can, we can update um, the, the tech and everything, and we can also, as our training, uh, as we conduct more training and interactions, um, we can put all that together, and essentially, um, we're le- now we're really leveraging technology b- uh, beyond what the traditional format was um, to help our self-development out there. So there, a lot of people out there have uh, can, can learn at different rates, have skills um, that they've developed um, over time, and to be able to track all that stuff and leverage technology, I think will give us a leg up. Uh, in the future. Yeah, I think this, so this for me personally is one of the more interesting parts of our research this year, especially everything that Chance looked at. I mean, he, he dug into some books where, I mean, there's some brilliant futurists that are looking at some incredible game-changing things. Uh, and we live in a very competitive marketplace where folks are always trying to change the game to their advantage. But, you know, when, when I consider what my relationship is with technology, and I, I referenced this earlier, that the the three and the four-star generals of 2040 are sitting here in the War College class today. Well, you know, for my elementary student's son, his relationship with technology is very, very different than mine is. And it's, it's, I think it's going to be important that in the context of self-development, uh, leadership aptitude, you're improving yourself in the context of the environment that you are uh, working in and leading in, it's going to be f- extremely important that individuals understand how to adapt technology faster and faster. And I think that's one of the things we we struggle with in a bureaucratic system like the Department of Defense. Um, we don't change very quickly. Uh, and when we do get a piece of technology that comes to us, it has to go through layers and layers of test and development so that it is suitable for you know, the, 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 the common unit, a broad-based approach to warfighting. Uh, but all, all that we looked at this year says we need to be doing things faster. We need to bring technology on faster, which means the individual has to have the propensity to learn faster, to leverage that capability, and to do so in, a, in an environment that if we want to succeed in multi-domain operations, we've got to be able to do it 
in a disaggregated manner to achieve the greatest effect on a broad spectrum. Yeah, we talked a lot about self-development and how do you do that. And one of the common themes was reading. And I think that works for some. Um, in a, when I was growing up, you know, reading was for rich folk. And uh, so that not a common trait of something that I had to, you know, kind of pick up and learn on my own. But uh, even a, you know, a four-star general was here at the War College at one point, and someone asked the question of, how do I get to be like you? And I'm not sure really what that meant. Um, but, I, you know, the response in a nutshell was, read a thousand pages a week. And I think that's, that's, um, that's hard to do, I think. I mean, at least I'm, for, for, for me it is. I mean, I'll, I'll just say that, you know, with all the technology around, um, I have more tech in my house than I do books. And my daughter's been exposed to more technology than books. So with that being said, you know, how do we get self-develop ourselves beyond reading? You know, can we can we play video games like like you said? You know, I think that's one of the ways to become smarter is we we can immerse ourselves in a video game. It teaches us how to interact within a a screen faster and make better decisions. What about uh, you know one of my classmates uh, from school got her PhD in mindfulness, and I think that helps you to make better decisions on the spot. I think that was a process used by Steve Jobs, and uh, I think it did pretty well for him. And um, I also think, you know, just drinking a lot of caffeine will probably help uh, increase brain power as well. So, I mean, I think it's important to note that at a scholarly institution like the U.S. Army War College, we don't fundamentally have a problem with reading. That's, you know, that's core to the experience at an institution of higher education. But we are encouraging people as they scan their environment to really be reflective of your own abilities and your own self-awareness of what am I what am I struggling with? What's out there that I foresee as a component of how I need to lead, where I need to lead, where my institution is going, where the uh, the global marketplace is going, and then be hungry enough to get after it and go find some source of knowledge that connects with you, be it um, a, a scholarly journal, a podcast, such as the ones that we're doing here, if you're into um, videos, or maybe it's just networking and you want to go find an expert and have a phone conversation with them or a video chat online, then do those things. But but make sure that you are continually feeding your own intellect because that's what we're going to uh, rely on as we get into these future operating environments. And that kind of leads us to our Third recommendation was something that came up uh, just a, a short while ago, but it's the propensity to self-develop, and that's really what we're we're talking about here. And doing that in the, uh, you know, in the in the sense that outside of a traditional educational institution, once you're done for officers, which is you know most of the folks that are here at the War College, uh, once you have gone through those twenty to twenty-two years of growing up with your family, being in the educational environment through elementary and middle school and high school, that's a significant portion of who you are and what you've experienced in life. But then the, an, an equally large part of that is what you're going to experience from the day that I take the oath of enlistment or the officer's oath, and I am now part of the U.S. military. So being... Um, a, a lifelong learner is a phrase we've heard multiple times, but being uh, aware and challenging yourself to not only become better as an individual, but become better as a professional. This is sort of uh, in the essence of our third recommendation. So, so far, I, I'm going to have to speak up on behalf of the listener here. Uh, you haven't outlined anything too 
difficult uh, in the grand scheme of things. Let's say we want to re- uh, we are rehash the entire evaluation system for each of the services, which you know is obviously simple. Uh, we want to build a talent management system that recognizes the best in everyone and make sure that it places them in the most appropriate spot. Obviously, we're well on our way to that. And uh, <clears throat> let's see, what was the th- oh, what, everyone needs to be self-aware enough to recognize all of their own weaknesses and then voraciously get after self-improvement in the process. Um, all very noble things, but obviously, as I say, with a, a wry grin, not necessarily the easiest of things to do. And uh, that doesn't mean we shouldn't, but uh, change is hard. So how is it we're going to actually go about enacting these things and preparing leaders for the future? Well, here, so I'll, I'll start with um, one of our teammates, a gentleman by the name of Rick O'Donnell, spent a considerable amount of what he's doing in his professional capacity looking at cognitive abilities of the individual. So to answer your question, let's look at it in bite-sized pieces. So the first thing is to understand what an individual's capacity is to learn, uh, to lead, uh, to do the various things that we are asking them to do. And as I mentioned uh, just a short time ago, a lot of who we are, um, especially in our original question, we were evaluating leader competencies and then distinguishing between the non-commissioned officer, company-grade officer, field-grade officer, and then general officer. And for the listening audience, there's there can be wide variance in age. A company-grade officer could be a brand-new second lieutenant with days or weeks in the service. Uh, and for a non-commissioned officer, that could be somebody who's maybe sort of a little more mid-grade, but it could also be somebody who's got, you know, 20 years in the service. And so s- starting with this sort of fundamental understanding of an individual's cognitive capacity and their ability and propensity to learn. And then from understanding that, it's now placing them in environments where we are challenging that, we are adding the tools to them that they need in order to succeed. And and then in this context is consider If you've had 20 to 22 years of education before you come into the service, what are you being educated while you're in the service, right? We don't just cut you loose and go, go fight and win our nation's wars. We're going to give you the tools that you need to succeed. That's hardware and software. When we talk about software, that's what's between your ears. It's your ability to think. And so in, in that regard, there are a number of things that you experience when you are in military service that are helping to improve and add to your educational experiences. Some of those are technical skills. If I need to learn how to drive a tank, somebody's going to teach me to drive a tank. If I need to learn how to shoot a weapon, somebody's going to teach me to shoot a weapon. But there are other things that you are not taught, but you are learning. The first time you go to combat, for anybody who has experienced that, you very clearly are learning things that no one is teaching you. And you are adding those to your memory bank because that's experience that you are going to rely on not only to live through tomorrow, but hopefully lead troops through 10 years from now, 15 years from now, if God forbid we have to go back. Uh, And so that's sort of the second one. And then the third one in terms of preparing people to lead is, is really our institutional educational programs. We've talked about the War College. All of the services have war colleges that they're educating uh, senior military personnel, uh, international officers, other civilian agency partners. But we have lower echelons of educational programs where the service is trying to get a hold of people at different points in their 
professional and personal educational experiences to constantly challenge them to reach those next levels. Buck, you asked how, and I think we only get there, and that's when the Army identifies that this is something they need to do. Mm-hmm. And once they do it, then they resource it accordingly. Um, but not beyond resourcing, it's also putting things in doctrine. So it's moving beyond the 10 leadership competencies that we talked in the previous podcast and adding maybe joint-mindedness, uh, thinking itself, cultural awareness has desired leadership traits, and, and changing policy that way. Um, it's educating soldiers on the process of innovation, collaboration, and organizational behavior. Um, tools at the foundation um, that the Army will need for transformational levels, at, uh, leaders at all levels. Um, they'll need to focus on diverse perspectives. Leaders will need to obtain skills that allows them to empower subordinates. And again, that's just demographic value. So they need to still make sure they're bringing in diverse perspectives through the acquisition phase or through the recruitment phase. Um, we talked a little bit about AI, but I don't know if we 